Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Rory O'Brien, one third of Tempa 7, an instrumental band based in Cork that go back a long way. They released their first album, recorded while they were in CSN Cork together back in 2003 and followed that up with Shut Up Your Face. I don't know if there's another way of saying that. Shut Up Your Face. Released on Out on a Limb in 2006. There have been a couple of EPs and singles over the decade since. But now, finally, we get Long Live the Bog Walrus, their first full-length album in almost 15 years. Completed by Matt Shallow and Jeremangan, 10 past 7 have created a heaving, full-throttle album. It's less math rock than before, but uh, it's no less intricate. Stick around to the end of the conversation with Rory to hear King Lear, which features vocals from folk trad band Landless with whom you can find a conversation in the TPOE podcast archives. Just search for TPOE Landless. Long Live the Bog Walrus is going to be released via the consistently great Art for Blind Records on November 27th and can be pre-ordered at 10past7.bandcamp.com with some funky looking vinyl available as well. Also, before we get to the chat, hold on, hold on. As part of Sligo's Spilt Milk Festival, which returns for its second edition over three days from November 27th to 29th, 10 past 7 are holding a listening party for Long Live the Bog Walrus. That is scheduled for 7pm on Saturday, November 28th. And more details for what looks like a really, really good virtual festival are up at spiltmilkfestival.com. So this was the first time Rory O'Brien had been on the Point of Everything podcast, despite all of his output over the past decade plus with... 10 past 7, in a solo guys, and other stuff besides as well. Uh, so I was delighted to see 10 past 7 we were still making music and that we were able to make this conversation happen over Zoom. And I'm very happy to report that the new album lives up to expectations. Very much so. Very much so. Shall we get into it? Here is Rory, 10 past 7, on the point of everything. Long live the Bog Walrus. First of all, I've always thought of 10 past 7 as a cork band. But then I see you're actually all from Kerry. So I don't know, is there a difference? Uh, or do you get very um, territorial about it or, or do you just brush it off? Is there anything that I should know for future reference? Well, I, I do you know, it's a kind of, um, it's it's like, what is it? Nature or nurture or something like that, where like the band began in Cork, but all of us grew up in Kerry. And then actually, like, Ger was born in Cork because there was no maternity hospital in Kerry at the time. Matt grew up or, you know, was it was in, in Dublin originally and I was in New York. So actually, we're all blow-ins to Kerry. Well, no, not really Ger. And, and then, you know, we when we came to Cork, that's when we started the band. So we're not really... Um, the Kerry thing makes us more exotic, <laughs> I hope. Um, did you grow up in New York? No, well, I, I moved over here with my family when I was uh, like eight, eight and a half, something like that. Oh, wow. So where, what was that like growing up in seven years, eight years in New York? Yeah, just, uh, I suppose I can remember a lot of it because I had to keep retelling. Oh, and I'm, you know, remembering stuff. Whereas like, you know, can you remember that much of when you were like seven or eight from where you're from? But yeah, I don't know. It was cool. It was just more the kind of shock of coming here or something, you know? A lot of, yeah, just simple things that I've probably held with me, like, you know, people being very mad into things always kind of made me like, I don't understand, you know, don't understand GA, religion, you know, just that kind of parochial kind of stuff or something like that. Just really, yeah. Like, you know, I grew up in like multi-denominational schools with like, kids from all over color of shades that kind of crack and then coming to Ireland it was like you can't play outside because you need to have slippers inside and your outdoor shoes and muck and yeah I don't know so it's just kind of I probably was really annoyed about it when I was like going through puberty where I was like why can't I be in cool New York I never knew this about you, so it's it's taken me totally by surprise, like, the first 30 seconds of our chat. I'm totally, like, I, I have so many questions about this. Like, did you have a proper American accent when you, when you came Yeah, home? yeah, and supposedly Jer got the accent off me for a while, where, you know, when you're hanging out with kids, like, kids are hanging out with each other, um, they just say certain turns of phrase or whatever that pick up from school, like, who told you that, you know, or... 
So supposedly, yeah, that that Jarrah started getting a bit of the accent, but I was like, oh my god, ah, ah. I think I was blonde as well at the time. The whole thing just went dark. <laughs> so do you still have an American passport or, and stuff like that? Do you still go over I do, there? yeah, yeah. I mean, I torched it there for the last four years, but I might might get another one again. No. <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, Yeah, no, I, I actually, I have it, and I wish I was had more money so I could travel over and back a bit more. I mean, that's essentially it. Or, you know, like time and, you know, I, I I kind of just assumed that I would do a bit more kind of back and forth because I've got a good bit of family over there. So, Have, have you ever, like, but, gone back there for a couple of months at a time or anything like that? Yeah, I, I went back, jeez, uh, I'm not going to remember the year, but I actually flew uh, to New Orleans. I went to the Mardi Gras there. So I, I actually, at the time, I didn't have my American passport. So I went over to kind of like get my birth certs. And, well, you know, it was something I finished college and I was like, right, I got to go do this now. I have a bit of chunk of time. And I wasn't sure I could have just stayed over there, I guess. But uh, then I kind of realized, oh, you need to like work like 15 jobs and like, ah, just I, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't just... I would have missed out on enjoying the time that I had there if I had tried to make, you know, get set up to live there for good kind of a thing. But anyway, I, so I had I had to get the American passport. So I had three months, and then when I was like, oh, I'd love to be there for my birthday, which is in May, and then I clocked back three months, and I was like, oh, that's Mardi Gras. Oh, screw it, you know. So then I ended up staying there for a week and then traveled up to North Carolina and stayed with a guy, Smith, who I met um, through a, a band that I played some gigs with. And he was super sound. And I stayed in Asheville in North Carolina for uh, over a week and maybe a week and a half, something more like that. And then traveled up to New York and I was there for two months. Saw loads of gigs. Class. Is is that while while ten past seven were just kind of starting? That would have been like two thousand four or five or something. Was no, it? no, no. This was um, oh, this was um. Look, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna think too hard about it because it'll be dead air. It was um, it was after Days on End Festival, so I did that and then I went away for three months. What's Days on End Festival? We did this festival in Cork. Um, in the year whatever it was (laughs) where it was like um all of us from Maersk put on a three-day kind of thing we did a 24-hour drone jam in sample studios oh i remember hearing Um, about that yeah 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 we had some gigs in the tdc and roundy and we did two years of it i think i think we just did one and then we you know i was like let's make it simpler and someone else is like let's get a fixed twin to play it so i was like so, so that's a little bit later. That's like two thousand and eight or two thousand. I'm gonna go, yeah, something like that. Yeah, because uh, I would no, because I went back to college, so I would have, I would have been. It might have been even two thousand eleven. I'm guessing that if you if you saw much music in New Orleans for Mardi Gras, it must have been yeah. unbelievable to see some of those bands. Like I've only ever seen them on TV shows and like documentaries and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was it's in your man uh, that that Treme TV show, that guy Kermit Ruffins, you know, in the bar where he was like barbecuing all day and then playing. It was unreal. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, it was just it was just great. Like you know, and I thought perhaps like going. You know, for something like that, it's like, oh, that's like going to spring break. You know, why would you want to see the town at that stage? But like for to get the opportunity, you know, to to kind of wander around and to kind of, you know, there's just tons on. Obviously, it's not a true representation of the town itself, but it meant I could wander, you know. So there was streets that it was like probably wouldn't be doing walking down here. I would have been a little bit more apprehensive about walking on my own around or getting lost or whatever it is but there's so many people just everywhere that it meant like I could just hop between bars I mean it was literally like channel flicking seeing these like amazing bands and just revelry you know does something like that like a trip like that where you're seeing so much music does that change your outlook on your own type of music or anything like that i mean do you on, on the one hand you almost feel like oh i'm shite compared to had uh, these people in these bands you know I, do you know what i i mean i suppose i've always had this issue with my own 
being a musician or something. It's like I always thought, like, I play music, you know, but I mean, there's people out there that are like, I mean, I saw one guy and he would just, I swear he was changing instruments and 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 different styles of music. So on the street, Frenchman Street, he's like hopping between different sessions that are on. So imagine if there was like trad sessions, the guy brings his fiddle to the different things. This guy was like playing sax and hopping on the piano and going, no, there is obviously a certain tradition of sound that he's playing with, but it was definitely more varied than a tr like traditional Irish music. It was like, I suppose maybe he was slotting in doing his own thing, but it was just, it made me feel as though, you know, look, I, I, I kind of like experimental stuff and punk rock or whatever that means to people. It's just like something raw, something everybody can do, you know? Um, whereas this stuff is like uh, far more steeped in a tradition, you know, and it just makes me it makes me want to run more into like just making noise because I'm like, you can't do this, <laughs> which they probably can, but they don't. Making noise is, uh, is easier, is it? Well, it just it, it's something that I probably know more than that guy who's really good at the piano. You can make a lot of noise on the piano, I'm guessing. Yeah, but I think I think it's it's just. Yeah, I mean, I've just, I've never gotten up and sung a song at a party, you know, I'm not that kind of, play, you know, I, I I don't think think of myself as a musician in that kind of, that kind of way, like, you know, so like seeing all the stuff, uh, well, obviously, then when I went to New York, like, I, I saw like one old tricks point never playing a fucking deli thing, and then like the guy from Lightning Bolt and... You know, tons of like underground stuff, Colin Stetson and just awesome like weirdo stuff and s squat things and actually squarehead were over there when i was over there for a few days and then they were playing some house party and i had just a ton of stuff you know and um and and do you know what actually one of the things was i kind of you know if you go away somewhere you get to kind of would say not carry the, any baggage with you. Like nobody knows what you're interested in. I didn't have anybody that I had to go to any music with. You know, if you are in Dublin, we'll say, if there was any gigs on, you'd be like, I want to go to this. Oh, but my buddy wants to go to this or whoever it is. And it changes your perspective on what that show might be to you, you know? And I thought to myself, like, what am I going to like? What, who am I? <laughs> like what do I actually enjoy you know I really could just try and go to see more kind of jazz stuff or blues stuff or singer song even though I did a few singer songwriter gigs over there but at the end of the day I much I kind of yeah I definitely realized the kind of stuff that I like wasn't to do with other people liking it if you know what I mean yep I get you. I get you. That must be. It must have been so great just seeing so much music, like all in one go and different types of it and everything. Yeah, I won tickets to go see Kraftwerk at MoMA. Like when I was there, you know the way you like, you, you go, oh, it's the land of opportunity. You know, I'm gonna like, yeah, like, and I've never in my life like, oh, text this number, like and share this. I have never in my life. And when I was over there, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll submit my phone number to this BMW promotion. Like, haha. And then I got this phone call. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, that Was that on their 3D tour? Did you go see yeah. it? And mind, yeah. Mind blowing it was, stuff? It was off the wall. Like, yeah. And it went on for a. It was it was it was class. Are are Kraftwerk a kind of band that you only get into like later in your life? Like I remember listening to them when I would have been like sixteen, seventeen, and not getting it. But it's only now in oh, the yeah, past yeah. like four. Oh no, I was definitely in my mid twenties, and Albert Toomey was trying to play it at me, and I was like, "Stop, stop doing that." I I, I don't know. I I well, to be honest, I was just ag not against, but like I didn't understand any electronic music because. I just had prejudice against it, I guess, you know, and minimalism as well, you know. You you see the folly of your ways then when you're like getting your mind blowing, blown watching a 3D Kraftwerk show at MoMA. Yeah, yeah, but I guess I'm kind of, I needed to go through that thing of not being interested in, I don't know what it is, like, uh, there, there's a kind of, a, a, lot, a lot of electronic stuff or whatever it's to do, it's it's all like graphical or it's it's unhuman you know 
And I think that's that's what I was like really I didn't like that kind of stuff. You know, I hated that it was like a metallic taste in my mouth when I heard like electronic sounds, you know, rather than something that had a bit of humanity in it. it it's like it's like when craft beer came to Ireland, you know, after I was over in the States drinking loads of it and then I came to Ireland I was like, Whoa, they actually do have an IPA. What's this? Brew dog? You know, oh we should try it, you know. But I was like, oh, thank God. I, I, do you know what? Like, I'm almost glad I wasn't interested in in every music under the sun when I was younger because I had, I still had more and more to listen to as time was going by and really delve into stuff, you know. Okay, so so we've gotten a little tour of of the states with you, but let's go back to when when you moved over. You moved to Kerry and you became friends with the lads who you'd form Ten Past Seven with, did you? Yeah, that's what we were all just in primary school together, you know. Wow. So you've just got that connection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just were hanging out and it was just like skateboarding. And I mean, no, we were playing like playing. What was it? War or whatever you call it. You know, where you're just going bang, bang. No, you're dead. No, I'm dead. But I, I guess we were I, I was really into drawing and stuff. And the lads were as well. You know, it's just being a bit just you know, probably not from families that were like cliched, you know, I, I don't know if we were just a little outsiders, you know, a little bit, even at that young age, I guess, in a way or whatever. I think it was one of the lads just like, oh, we should do a band or something. I think he had an older sister or something like that, you know, and we we're like, what? What's that? How does that work? You know, I remember buy I bought a drum kit off a guy. Because we were like, you need a drum kit to start a band, you know, but we didn't know who was going to play it. So we just had it. And then I remember Matt and myself both had electric guitars. And then this father was like, you know, there's like a bass guitar thing in the band. And we were like, what? And we were trying to listen to the music. And it was like Tin Lizzy or something, you know. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. What What do you like? <laughs> just didn't have the concept of it in any way, you know. And then Matt was like, uh, oh, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll get the bass guitar all right okay what is it you know and then we were looking at it much more innocent times yeah just totally i don't know yeah jerry was using that kit for a bit then i still have a floor tom from that little drum kit wow and so so what age would you have been then like early teens or something yeah we must have been like i haven't a clue (laughs) i haven't really thought about it were we in primary school i haven't a clue wow really i don't know what age are you we were just always hanging around, you know, it's just a kind of a blur, like. That's mad, though. Like, usually, like, bands start in secondary school and people go their own ways then in college and stuff. But, like, you guys yeah. stuck together. Well, no, we, were, make... we were definitely dicking around with stuff. Like, you know, we must have been in secondary school, but kind of early days, you know. We, you know, it was like that thing where people kind of get... It's not that we had a band name or something. It was like, we were like, yeah, let's do that thing. And then we kind of, like one of the lads had a keyboard and then we would make like oh yeah and we're just messing about with making music and and weirdly enough we were always into like making up our own stuff from the very beginning you know like rather than like oh we'll get together and we'll play a cover song like it was like we did that obviously but we still were always messing around making our own things like when I think of a band who's who's formed in school, like obviously I'm thinking of the bands at my own school, but I'm thinking like heavily influenced by the likes of Nirvana and all all of those kind of bands. Like was was that ye? And when like did you start to think about maybe like continuing this after school? Like was that always the plan, or did you have to convince each other of it? Or we all went to Stefanefa to do the music management and sound course, so we were like, that's what we want to do. Even though I was like. What do you do? <laughs> Their parents were probably like, what? What? You know, but we were like, we're mad into music. And, and we were we used to play a lot of like at that stage, we were playing a lot of blast gigs and we traveled up to Dublin a bunch of times. You know, we traveled around the country a bit playing and we had good. Um, there was another guy, Owen O'Brien, who was an amazing musician who was playing guitar with us at the time as well. So we were we had momentum as a group, I think, you know, and it was like. So then we said, we'll all do the music management and sound. But it was just, it was just a natural progression. It's like, right, if you're going to do something, this meant we were, you know, it was just 
they kind of told people very late about the Stefanafa thing, but it was always like, yeah, that's what we're going to do, you know, this or nothing kind of. And then we started playing as 10 past 7 because we had to get a group together for to do the course. You had to do performances and, I don't know, there was a bunch of things like writing out your all the, the mics that you need for your live show and do recordings and all that and then and at the time we were kind of playing more like like kind of heavy stuff like i suppose it was like i was a bit all over the place but i guess it was more like a, a metal band from that time you know not really new metal but elements of that kind of thing but a bit kind of punk rock like kind of hardcore sick of it all bits and so i didn't and i was singing but i was like oh i'm never i'm not gonna be screaming for this course because it's going to be I'm not going to get it just doesn't go down well it, 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 it was actually realizing our audience you know it's like if we're going to be in this course and we've got like half of the people in here are acoustic guitar players there's another bunch of them are, you know we were complete outsiders you know and since then like oh emperor have been abandoned there but it was the first time they took a band you know into the course so we from the get-go knew you know it wasn't going to go down if i'm like ah! and, and we used to have to do performances in a classroom you know with the kit set up at the back of the class and it was like let's just mess around with stuff so we had some ideas of like and and we were also learning about music theory and getting better at musicianship and stuff so the idea was let's just make up these jams so that we can practice playing music but that it isn't kind of like there isn't singing on it because i was like i i didn't want to have to do both and i didn't want it to be colored by the vocal and then we found out afterwards that there's such a thing as an instrumental band but like we had no idea you know it's it's so much um it's so much more innocent than nowadays like nowadays with kids who have the internet and like every single piece of music at their disposal it's like they know everything before they even start out and you know they know that the equipment that they're going to need and stuff so this is like these are like the the last days that you're going to hear these stories yeah i mean it's it's like you know if you ever try and do something outside of your your knowledge zone you know you're trying to build something or, or do some coding or something and you have to ask the internet a question but you don't even know how to form the question because you don't know enough about the thing, like, you know? Like, I wouldn't, I probably back then it was like, we wouldn't have known, oh, you're an instrumental band. It's like, I don't even, what is it? Like, I would have been typing in, no singer in band, you know? Like, if there was an internet that kind of had search capabilities or whatever, you know? I, but funnily enough, actually, uh, and th this is a big part of it too, though, is that course fast-forwarded our knowledge and everything you know so we had two years to be concentrating on music all the time practicing four or five days a week all living together learning about recording and um, management of, of music and the pitfalls of stuff and all that songwriting meeting musicians uh like galvin from uh weevil at the time was in our course. I remember he gave me a cassette tape of like Reddit Manifesto, and I was like, whoa, that's kind of because what we were doing. I remember like one of the riffs we had at 10 by 7 was like, oh, it's like a f that weird bit from an Incubus song. You know, that was like where we were at. Or like, yeah, that drum beat's kind of like a system of a down thing, you know? Like, it was, we were just taking these little tiny sections that were maybe a bit proggy or, or whatever. You know, and at the drive-in part or something, and being like, "Oh, that that one snippet where it's it sounds weird. What is that?" And then we try to do that and work it out, and then we realize, "Oh, it's all these odd timings." And the challenge of that was fun. And then here in the Rednecks, end, and we didn't know that there was a whole lineage before the Rednecks. Not saying that they're derivative, but like they were well aware of their influences when they came up with their stuff. You know what I mean? Whereas we had a cassette with you know. And it's like, whoa, that's mad. And then actually Fugazi played in Limerick, uh, put on by the AMC. If we didn't go to that, I don't know. But it was on in like November. So we were like barely in Cork 
you know, we all moved up to Cork and that gig was on. So we just started kind of messing about with whatever our music was and we got to see that gig. And then it was like, okay. So so would you kind of see Rednecks as your kind of your your Dublin uh not rivals, but um you're ma- you're making a similar kind of music? Um yeah, they'd be like our parents. Did <laughs> l- like would would you have ever met them in those kind of early days? Like say after after that Fugazi gig and stuff, and maybe you're touring around the country a little bit more, like Oh yeah, yeah. Oh we we've hung out low. Yeah, I remember like um the first time we got to see him, I came up to the lad, you know, it was in the crew skiing. And I, I, I think I had the EP, you know, the 150 Degrees, the one we recorded in. I mean, that was amazing as well. We had a free recording in a fairly all right studio in the, in the college. But I gave it to, to Richie or whatever. It's like, oh, my God, we heard about you guys. Brilliant, you know. And he didn't even listen to it, I think. And, and he was like, next gig we have in Dublin now, you know, you can support us. And I was like, what? And then we ended up doing a gig with him in Whelan's, you know, that was like, fucking, I don't know what it was, like 800 people at it or something like that, you know, and which probably was their next gig. You know, it was it was genuine enough. And we, we hung out loads since, like, you know, and we used to stay in Mervyn's Gaff um, a lot when we were up in Dublin and stuff. So It's it's funny comparing that to nowadays, like you, you talking about uh, that CSN experience and like figuring out everything that's actually needed as a band, like, you know, 15 years ago or however long it was. And and now you hear people going to BIM in Dublin, which is, you know, it's not chur- churning is the wrong word, but there's so many acts who are coming out of it. You know, it's a proper established music school with like other branches uh, elsewhere. I think there's one in Berlin and I think there's one in London as well. But like there's so much there's so much um, negativity thrown at the people who go there as well. But I'm guessing like. If if you are eighteen now and wondering what to do after school, like if you're into music, BIM is the place that you want to you would want to go to, wouldn't it be? Yeah, I mean there was no option. I mean even when you think about it, the Cork um, School of Music now has a popular music course or whatever, you know. But like the only way that we could do music our way, like with a guitar and a drum kit and stuff, was was going to Stephanie for there was a Ballyfermot course, you know. I mean, it is kind of interesting because, like, there's other people that are, f- like, you know, uh, fully DIY when it comes to playing in rock bands or whatever, you know? Whereas we had that two-year thing where, you know, it was almost as much as we didn't have the internet to help us learn things and mentorship through streaming or whatever, all this information about music, like, to have that intensity of of you know two years worth of of dedicating yourself to it you know it's probably the equivalent to someone having the internet now or something like that or or whatever so the the fact that like i, I you were saying there's negativity towards the bim thing or just it's just churning out similar types of people or um i th- I think it's it's just the way like oh they're another bim band you know it's like oh, yeah, i mean Fon- yeah, yeah, say yeah. fontaine's dc or bim band and it's always thrown at them as as a kind of negativity uh like i would never i would never you know say something like that like oh they're not making real music oh, uh, oh they're from Kerry. <laughs> you know I, well i mean look i think i think the thing is you know it's like um i was watching master chef the other day and it's like stuff is up to the super high quality but at the end of the day people are like yeah you know like okay you cooked it well but it's just not exciting you know and i mean if you think about the techniques used in making music you know to the quality of some of these um these acts that are coming out of bim it's like yeah it's it is cooked to perfection but you know it's it's about kind of um i think the problem could be is that the more learned you get you stop using your own voice you know and you 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 lose that i kind of get that like you know i i i like I like visceral music, you know, as much as anything else. And I I think there's nothing wrong with it. I think it just needs to kind of push to the next level, you know, because I think the the thing is that the people that are coming out of that, that people are dismissing are like, you know, they're going to have 20 albums worth of music because that's their day job. And then there's one thing that they come out with. Maybe that's that's got that, 
you know, something special or something worth more to humanity or whatever you call it. Well, I I guess it's kind of maybe the real world experience. Like, you know, you learn everything about, say, Spotify. You learn everything about, you know, how to get your music out there. But there's nothing about, like, you know, connecting with a crowd and just, like, the experience that you get with playing, like, 100 gigs in a year or something like that. And I guess that that's something that, that you would have gotten, like, when you were touring with Redneck Manifestos and playing with them and kind of going to different cities around Ireland as well. It is odd people that are being taught how to do the things because like we we kind of were doing stuff and then realized that there was such a thing, you know, like we booked like all ages gigs in Killarney, you know, nobody was willing to put it on. I mean, we'd like, you know, 15 year olds trying to put something on in the back of a pub, booking tours. And we always were like, we couldn't care less. We We set up the band in a way where we don't need a PA. That was part of our kind of... That was another thing, aspect of the no vocal thing. And it was like, we will play in a cupboard. You know, we've played tons of house parties, like tons of like empty rooms in the back of somewhere on a in a field. And we were always able to... We were never compromised that much because it was like, get big amps, put them close to the kit, done. You know, that was always a thing. So we could always have fun... To be honest, it's the larger shows where people see us. We don't have a keyboard and a singer or whatever. And then we get a five minute sound check because they're like, oh, it's grand. They've been the worst gigs for, for us having fun. I mean, being comfortable with what we're doing, you know, like we played bloody body and soul. And it was like, and actually I saw a band. That was the first time I heard someone say BIM. I saw some band, I wish I knew the name of them, they were kicking ass inside in the forest, and I was like, wow, these guys are off the charts, like, it was class. I don't know, it was just like, prog, funk, hip-hop thing going on, I don't know what it was, and I was like, man, they're unbelievable, like, and I was like, oh yeah, they're probably a BIM thing. It's like, and you know, one of those ones are like, I'm not gonna ask what that means, though, I'll, I'll figure it out at some stage. But that, I remember that, you know? But there was nobody like that was from Ireland 10 years ago. There was nobody playing anything anyway, like original, I guess, or or that they would write their own stuff and it be played in that kind of session musician way, you know? Mm. Do you get nostalgic for those for those times? Like, I know you're trying to remember all of the years that all of this stuff happened, but like even mentioning, you know, like the Kruskeen lawn and, you know, those those first gigs, like getting to travel up to Dublin and stuff. Do you ever go, ah, that was a, you know, do you get wistful about it and think like that was a great time? No, I just want to do more of it. We we ended up like kind of it, it's it's a it's kind of tragic, to be honest. But like we we kind of had to stop playing. We were so um cut off from each other kind of physical distance wise in the band that we uh we could only get together every month maybe every two months and the way we were writing stuff it had a lot to do with us being in the same room because we were trying to rediscover you know when if you're in a band for a long time or doing anything for a long time it's like okay we're gonna have to paint the front of the shop again what color are we gonna do I just mean like we we were rediscovering what we were up to and we were we started the band without having direct influences. So we wanted to kind of have it continue that way where we couldn't pinpoint the way something sounded it was like, oh, that's cool. That's like this band we like today or that band. So we wanted to be in the room together, churning it out. So we stopped playing gigs because they were like, it takes us a, a, like if we have a jam every month, if you do a jam to get ready for a gig, that means we don't get back to the writing for two months, if not more. So we actually stopped doing gigs to get this album ready. And then our aim was like, go hog wild again and play everywhere and actually get to see a band with our, you know, experience playing, you know, not just doing one gig and trying to promote it. I don't want to promote anything. I just want, I want to, for people to have a a physical experience, you know, I I'd, I'd much rather play ten gigs than one, you know. So it's kind of the live experience that you really kind of live for. Yeah, that was like, especially you know when you think of we were talking about electronic music before as well, and it's like, look, if I'm using something like a hundred year old technology to try and like play the guitar and the drums, and it sounds all janky and like 
when some guy can come along with a laptop and like bang out like you know get into the thing it's like he can that person with with um doing electronica can can hit a lot of the emotional notes and a lot of that stuff to a point but there is something about that kind of um being in a moment with other people and creating something that is out of nothing you know and and i think music has that thing where like it doesn't exist without that kind of um that temporal thing you know where where you have to remember the notes that came before to realize it's a melody you know so we're all in it together creating a rhythm even and people you know all that stuff happening where people are in the same room and it's coming from nothing you hit the snare and we can speed up and slow down and that to me is the kind of reason to be playing you know i would i don't know what it is i just think about it like old school instrumentation you know yeah um just before we talk about the the new album and kind of the the later years like we i I did just want to ask you about like say releasing shut up your face uh with out on the limb in 2006 and then it kind of felt like instrumental music became the main uh i don't know is, is that fair to say instrumental music became kind of the main music in ireland for a while with the likes of redneck manifesto and what richter collective were doing in dublin is that a fair thing to say is, is that me kind of uh glossing over a lot of acts there probably yeah but it was it kind of do you know what it is it felt it's, like a scene i guess it, yeah it's something that rose up kind of quickly enough that it became noticeable like you know um and it went away i guess as well but um I think there was, uh, because the Rednecks were such a good band, or are such a good, I don't know what they're, what they're at at the moment, but, you know, they were, they were an internationally good band, and they, I suppose, were in a genre that's like, instru- I don't know what it is, you know, now it was post-rock at some point, and then it changed to math rock, and now it's just, you know, but... Because, I think that's what it was, you know, it's like there was probably a ton of, like, U2 bands you know, at the time when you too, there was probably a ton of like horse lipsy bands in Ireland. You know, so I think I think it was because the Rednecks were just I don't know what you call it, like internationally good, is that the thing, you know? They weren't a local band, you know, in the same way, you know. And I think that meant that people were willing to listen to the 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 B team bands a bit more, you know? Uh, you know, and then and and though because we, ten past seven got a chance, like it's just you just put something on a pedestal, people give it a little bit more time. If you give things a bit of time, it actually kind of makes some. You get feelings off of it one way or the other, and it kind of helps the whole thing out. And that's what happened with us with with the Rednecks. Like, was we got to kind of get to play a few shows with them, or, or maybe it was just that one, but it was like, it just made it kind of like, oh, they're legit, and then out in a limb, and because uh, uh, Give Man a Kick, and I would say the same with Give Man a Kick. Give Man a Kick are like, you know, I've been listening to music for years, and I know the genres, <laughs> and I know Give Man a Kick, and I'm like, I've, I, I, you know, every time I re-listen to something, I'm like, no, they're as good as anybody. You know, I mean, maybe they're timing, maybe they're a bit later and that could be said for Rednecks as well, even though Rednecks were going quite a long time. But maybe, I, I don't know. I, I think that those two bands were like as good as anything in the world, you know. Do you, uh, it's funny that you call it B, B team kind of bands. Uh... Yeah, like Adebisi and stuff, you know. <laughs> No, I just mean, you know, bands that came afterwards, really. I just mean that, I mean more on the profile sense than, than, you know, even though I think the Rednecks are the best. Did you ever kind of feel like, oh, this band sounds like that other band? Did you kind of feel like the, t- like the genre and that type of band kind of tired each other out? I mean, you, you kind of took a break around then as well, like 2011, 2012 as well, did you? Uh, that was probably when I was over in the States, so... Oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah. Like, when Richter Collective broke up, it did, and, or stopped or whatever, it did kind of feel like uh, uh, like a big uh, exhale, I guess, fr- from those kind of bands. You're, you're wondering, oh, is, is this the end of something? And I, I don't know if, um, if Irish music properly reached maybe that, that quality level again or that kind of maybe similar 
type of music until like girl band come out then a couple of years later i think girl band are maybe the next yeah i think that um i don't know how international a lot of the do you know i suppose it was happening at the same time as the music industry or whatever you'd call it was changing so we went from printing 2000 cds and cds being in some uh, you know mom and pop record store in Letterkenny or something you know or whatever like we had distribution you know that was a big thing printing cds you know to you know i think what happened when the richter stopped was pretty much and that and nobody was buying vinyl then i mean the same people that are still buying it are still buying it but there wasn't it was before any of that and i think the kind of you know enemies did loads of great stuff and adabisi and there's like a there was a ton of bands that kind of but all the lads from Kid Blunt, like we played a ton of gigs with Kid Blunt, and that's what I know. Um, the kind of kill cool crowd from uh, is all those gigs. Like, so Tempest Seven were playing, like you know, in the Scout Hall or in Turlock's Gaff, and like in Kill Cool, you know, back in the day. And then when Enemies came, it was like we had been a band for ages, and we're like, oh, these guys are pretty cool. But I mean, even to me, it sounded like people were trying to find their own voice. But because pe- the profiles in the vans were so big, if I could say that, they kind of got bigger than they should have when they were just starting off or something like that. And I think that kind of kills stuff because it's not fully cooked, you know, in a way where there was like all these bands were getting amazing recordings. They're getting put out there. And I felt as though um, it, it, it was there was less grassroots work being done or something on, on, on that. And the kind of. It just makes things kind of fizzle away. or I think a lot of stuff is changing. I think that's what I'm trying to say, you know, is that, like, you know, you could get your stuff out internationally so much quicker, you know. And I was like, what? You've heard of those guys and they haven't played in town to nobody yet? You know, that kind of thing. And so what about you guys? I mean, you started a, a solo thing around then as well from, like, maybe 2012 onwards, maybe after you came back from the States again. And so what happened to the band then? Did you just kind of, like just just take a break yourselves and you wanted to try something new no we were always playing and that was the thing we always were jamming but it was just like yeah we mightn't get a chance to jam for three months you know and then another jam three months time and then it's like we might have 30 seconds of music and you multiply that out by however long you know so we did the black box recording and then i did the acoustic stuff just because i was like Oh, I can do it. And do you know what? It was funny because we were doing a lot of the 10 past 7 stuff and I was listening to a lot of different music and I was getting into experimental stuff. I also started getting into like Bill Callahan, Bonnie Prince Billy and kind of Michael Gyra stuff. And and I just got into that. And my reaction to anything, pretty much hip hop is the only saving grace where I listen to it and I don't think about making it, which is pretty good. I have something, maybe clap. No, I I probably twiddled with Sibelius at some point but I uh, so I was listening and I started coming up with stuff and it meant like because I, I, I like playing gigs and I kind of feel like I don't know I think it's just that kind of thing it's like if you can do something and if you have the ability to do it you should be trying to do it I kind of just thought to myself I was like I can do this and and I'll put it out there you know and it also meant like I was able to see a lot of great music and, it, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I don't know, will I go to the gig or not? I was like, oh, I'm supporting at this gig, you know, and I got to support loads of amazing people, get to meet people. And that meant I was helping out with promoting the gig and being part of stuff, you know. So that was kind of, um, but we were always working on 10 past 7 stuff, really, I guess, you know. Yeah, like there was there was never any talk of like, oh, should we, you know, should we just call it quits? Is this the last? Is this the last bit? No, and you know what? I mean, I I can imagine. I mean, we never had that conversation, or like it just wasn't like we we always wanted to do it. It's just, it's just like one of those things where you're like, what? It's five o'clock already. That's all it was. It's like, whoa! It has been three years since we did that. But like we weren't thinking of it as in a kind of a oh we need to have a new release out and with we we weren't thinking about that at all. We were trying to bring out things and we did have a realization where we were like man we're not gonna be able to when Jer moved to Dublin it was like we're not gonna be able to actually get together physically enough 
So we thought, let's try and bring out EPs. So that's why we did the Boer Bui one. We did the, the Black Box. We did the 7-inch. So we could just have something that we were bringing out that was, you know, getting us there. And I think it was after we did a tour with Hands Up in um, France and Spain, we were like, we need to get an album because it just we need an a set that's what it was more so it was like we need 40 minutes of music for a gig that's not old you know if we're to come back and tour you know uh and that was kind of the thing yeah i to to me it's just all blends into one i guess really we've all i've always been trying to play music in different ways i mean the first gig i ever played was you know playing with with the lads doing like a Deftones cover and some kind of President's United States of America rip-off song that I made up about a pig and and playing an acoustic set, you know. So it's just been what I was doing the whole time, you know. And and so, like, when you decide to go into the studio, uh, you went in in 2019 to Gorilla Studio with Spud Murphy. What are you going in with? Are you going in with your old albums? You're like, this is what 10 past 7 should sound like. Did you already know what you were going to record? Or was it all kind of done in the studio? Or, or how did all that come together? Some of the songs were probably, f- at that stage, almost might be five years old. Do you know what I mean? So, like, well, not not completed, but we'll say... Like when when Matt was writing stuff for for the black box, he had other riffs that we were toying around with. But it was like, oh, no, if we get these three, that's a good EP, you know, so there was still stuff there. And it's just always a rolling continuation of things. So like there's maybe one or two of them. There was riffs we messed around with. We kind of had them. And then we would use a kind of a, a technique of kind of forgetting you know, going, oh, is that really good? Or did we forget it? Does that mean it's not good? And just kind of leaving things stew for a while and coming back to stuff. So kind of hopping between songs. And I would say it was probably three months before the recording when Jerry was like, right, I'm going to click track, maybe a bit longer, click track everything for the whole album, which means like he's putting down a metronome and, you know, essentially almost coding out the whole every track so we know how many beats how fast it is the slowing down speeding up the different changes between different time signatures and perceived speeding up and slowing down and when we went into the studio we had been actually practicing along with the actual you know exactly the timing of the way the song would be and that was just because we wanted to try something different but it meant that it was like when we had experiences before we had up to then recorded everything just live in the studio so the black boxes look live i think there might be like the end of one take and the beginning of another and you know an overdub but essentially yeah but we were like <laughs> because we hadn't really had we were, were not gig fit as we were we were like let's try out um using the click track because it means we can kind of concentrate on getting the sounds and stuff like that but it also i found was like geez keeping up the tempo on things or keeping it slow actually had a magic to it as well you know and i was so i was really happy with that kind of way of working in the end where i was like i think it's it does keep that intensity that we we wanted from them whereas if you're doing it live we might have slowed down in a bit where we shouldn't or something like that. So I think that um, uh, I think it, it really worked out. So when we went in. It was like, yeah, we, we had everything. And was it good recording with Spud? Did he have much um, input into it? Like he seems like one of the reasons why Lancome's last album, The Live Long Day, sounds like it does. It sounds like he's a bit of a master of drones and uh, some of the other he acts is. that he's he recorded loves the drone, as well. Yeah. As as Thomas Parks once said, he was like, I wish I loved anything as much as that man loves drone. <laughs> but um no, I, I mean the thing is, right, we it's everything that we do is is kind of is just or not, not organic. Yeah, organic. I don't know. It's just like we played a gig with, you know, Spud's band um Ilya K back in the day, and then we were mates with Los Langeros as well. We did a ton of stuff with them, and then Ilya K were good mates with 
Los Nigeros after a while, and now like Mick is in a band with Phil from Los Nigeros, you know, and and we played a bunch of shows with Ilya K, and then one time, myself and Wayne, this was actually we won the Murphy's Live competition, and that paid for our first album, and then this the year after that, I think Ilya K won it. And what they said, they were like, oh, maybe we'll buy equipment rather than paying a studio to record the album. So they bought the equipment to do it. So then they, they had that for a while. And then Los Nigeros got Spud and the Lads to record their album. I think that was one of the first things. I think maybe Spud did some percolator stuff before that or when he wasn't in the band. But uh, so he did that with them. And then we were gigging and I did the album cover for Lost and Garrett. You know, we were all there at the same time. And then then myself and Wayne one time went down to Wexford and with Spud and we were just recording random stuff. And then after that, we we're like, oh, we should do a, a demo in, in Waterford in that place because I went to collect some gear from there. So we did the demo in, in Waterford. And then also Katie Kim was on board, but she was in Stephanie with us very briefly. So we stayed friends. So when Jer moved up to Dublin, we were like using Gorilla Studios as our practice space in Dublin, you know, when when the lads moved up eventually, you know, and we brought um, Spot over to to France for the black box thing because we were like, man, I think he'd get a kick out of it so he could help out and then he'd learn something. You know, from the experience. And then it means that if we need, we need to like, because it was just, we just have a buddy there to tell Dave Odlum to like, no, do it this way or that way. Or I was like, oh, this would be good for us to have a middleman. And then it meant we could do post-production on that. So uh, I think the thing is that any of the aesthetics that that's to be into is stuff that we're into as well. Yeah, so like we had an idea for it and we also had demoed stuff the year before. So like a lot of the ideas, so like I set up um, one of the biggest things, I guess, was to have it in. So it still sounds like it's kind of in a room together. So the way we mic'd it up was we have all the mics on the drums. And then when we record the guitar, we keep the mics where they are, keep the drum kit in the room. And then put the amps into the room and record with those same mics. So you're physically in the same space as you're listening to whatever you're listening to. And that was something that us and um, Spud were chatting about. That's kind of cool. Then I set up some stereo guitar stuff. So I had like three or four amps going at once, you know, trying to do stuff. You know, rather than doing a hundred overdubs, it was like, right, I'm setting up a ton of amps, a ton of pedals and just playing it all, you know, in the room at once uh, and trying to capture that and working on a load of stuff. And Spud put a load of cool things on the album as well. And then um, he also had like um, Landless come in. They did a few, they they, they had some pre-recorded stuff that, that, Spud was messing about with and then he got him to do some more but he was like I think the stuff I had before was working better and so that was really cool and again it's kind of funny we have the, the female vocal thing on it which we had when Katie Kim did Bore Bui all that time ago um, so it's kind of been part of something that myself and Jaron Matt like that you know that, that juxtaposition between the kind of noisy stuff and that kind of I don't know what it is prettiness scary pretty uh, talk about scary pretty like I, I don't know if you've gone back and listened to like the older stuff that you recorded like those first and second albums but this sounds like 10 times heavier it's, it's a really really heavy album I think and a little a good bit less math rock I think you kind of left that behind have you well do you know what it is I think it sounds really it sounds kind of nasty you know and it's something that we every time we recorded up to now we've been compromising with engineers who are trying to make stuff kind of professional, you know? So then they're like, oh, we'll just, and they're just scooping off the edges. And, and like, I know Spot probably would, yeah, if I, he's like, man, the amount of work I had to do to like EQ it. But, but we've ended up with like, we wanted to push it out there to make it sound like, you know, when you're at a gig and it's loud and it kind of hurts a little bit. That's kind of what we were doing, you know? 
where it's like it's really loud. The math rocky thing is, it's actually like I was listening to Turf War, the the first single we put out, and I was like, holy god, you can't even hear the notes. I'm like, I mean, you can hear the notes I'm playing, but it's like there's a lot of math rock that is trying to explain to people this is really technical. This is really hard to play and it's it's complicated and the notes are really interesting. It's like there's loads of stuff going on. Turf War is one of the least complex ones, I guess. But there's tons of stuff going on in it, but because it's done in this like noisy way, I guess some of the parts might even sound improvised, you know? Because they're like kind of janky and there's weird things going on. I was self-analyzing one day when I heard it. I was like, what are people going to think of that? But I was like, it's actually just as technical, but one of the things we wanted to do is make it interesting for us on the technical level, but maybe less kind of, not obvious, but like we didn't want to be telling people we are being complicated now. It was always something we didn't want to do. We were playing complicated stuff for it to be exciting. You know, it's like, you know, we want it to... And we wanted to have layers. So if it's kind of complex, you know, it can have like a melody, but then it's kind of complex. We can play it over and over and over and over again. And it's still hard. You know, it's still at our kind of limit of ability. We've got to remember stuff. People can listen to it in different contexts. But this time around, we were trying to hide some of that. So like they say, there's a song, Dolphin Dreaming, you know, Uh, it's the last song on the album. It just, it sounds really simple, I think, you know? But it's like, oh, the amount of like, you know, if we were a different band, we'd be arguing, but we're just like going, well, no, no. Like, it's so odd and and actually kind of weird and complex. And one of the things Jarrah's beat is trying to do is make it sound like it's it's normal, but it's not. So we were doing a little bit more like that. So again... The other part of it is, I like obviously when we do gig again, we'll be playing this album, but I'm really, really looking forward to getting past that point and then doing old ones next to these new ones and really hearing the similarities or the kind of, yeah, I think I think there's a really rich kind of back catalogue we have now, you know? So these songs are going to, I think they'll work really well with a, a, a full set. And, and for the first time ever, we actually could kind of choose songs where it was normally, it was like, well, we don't do that anymore. You know, I, I think we kind of, now it's like, wow, we've got a lot. We have enough songs now to really change it up every night or something, you know. So it sounds like, uh, one, you still really love playing with the lads. And two, you're really proud of the album that you've created together. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's it is odd that the context of it, you know, that people aren't hearing it at a gig because and I've, I'm probably going to say this in every bloody interview, but um, <laughs> but uh, it just keeps coming to mind where uh, I think it was Ian McKay uh, Fugazi said uh, that the album's the menu, the gig is the meal. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it, 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 maybe that's over, you know overdoing it but I think the kind of idea was that you would listen to the album in conjunction with the the live gigs you know where you listen to it and then when you hear the song live you remember the part or you know something is coming up and then after the gig you're like walking down the street and you're like oh I remember when she sang that at the gig and now I feel like I'm, I'm more connected with that music because of the the experience I had at the show it's it's weird that when we made it we weren't expecting it to be like oh this is we don't have any of that live thing that we were always like that was what the band was about you know uh so i'm actually super happy that we did spend a bit of time to make it something that's much more than just us playing in a room you know because there was definitely at a point of like maybe we should not be you know, doing any of this stuff, this extra stuff, because it feels as though we're we're cheating. Whereas, no, I think I think it 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 actually it's going to stand the test of of time, so that when whenever we can physically be in the same place, and I, I don't really want to do a gig that isn't like a rock and roll show as well. You know, 
I think it's it's kind of an odd one. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll happen in twenty twenty one that we can uh, yeah. get to get the uh, the main course, I suppose, of uh, of ten past seven live but congratulations on long live the bog walrus uh i haven't asked you about the name i don't know is there anything behind the name that you want to uh just put on the record uh it's funny sounding well <laughs> you know i've i've heard a french i've heard a french person uh, it was on on tay of tool as well and uh, and i'm like oh it, it brings a smile to my face every time i hear someone um uttering it you know and and I think that's all. It's all meant to be kind of mysterious and fun, and it can be like jarring and difficult and heavy. But I like. I hope that like yeah, people get that we're yeah. There's just more going on to it, you know. And you can take it a bunch of different ways, and and I, I think the the bog wallers will will get more mysterious, not less, as as more information is um, divulged. Well, listen, congratulations on almost releasing the album. It'll be out uh, at the end of uh, November. And yeah, hopefully get to see 10 past 7 live again in the next 12 months or something. But uh, yeah, congratulations on what you've achieved. Thanks a million.